0: Welcome to Various Things. I'm Gary Long. Today's episode is with Ben Snakepit. As a musician, he has played with bands such as Shit Creek, Shanghai River, Modoc, and J Church, currently playing with the band Ghostknife. As an artist, he has created six books of his comic series, Snakepit, the latest of which is titled Snakepit Gets Old. He also does a column in Razorcake. I first met Ben years ago when he lived in Richmond and had much fun catching up with him from his home. Austin, Texas. This episode is broken into six parts. This is part one. Enjoy.
1: I'm in just one band right now.
0: (laughs) Just one. What's the most you've ever had at the same time?
1: Uh, I guess at one time I had three full-time bands and, like, two kind of side project things all going at once. And that was, that was a little overwhelming, but at the time, like, I didn't have a girlfriend or anything, and it was, uh, it kind of, it occupied my time, you know, and it, it, it was cool. But then as, like, you know, certain bands would, like, pick up speed and other ones would kind of die off, it, it, it kind of evened out. But for a while there, I, I was uh, I was doing three full-time bands, that were like all billing full time and it was like a little bit too much and i had to quit two of them so uh now i'm just in one band that's just a side project it's called Ghost Knife and it's um the other guys in the band uh Mike Weedy, who's in the Riverboat Gamblers is a guitar player and uh Chris who plays drums he he played drums in Severed of State and uh he was in J Church with me um right oh, wow. now he's in a yeah he's in a hardcore band called Creatureist like that's his full time deal and so Ghostbikes is more a side project for those two guys. And it's really like the only band I'm in. And I don't, you know, we play maybe three times a year. We barely play at all. And I kind of like that, you know, it, it dials it back to much more of a hobby and a lot less of, you know, I'm a musician. I don't really consider myself a musician so much. as just a dude with a guitar.
0: That's, that's wild. Cause you've played in a lot of bands.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it, for a real long time, you know, I wanted that to be, you know, what I did. I wanted, I wanted that to be my main dog, you know. And especially living here in Austin, you know, Austin's the live music capital of the world and stuff like that. And I mean, there are, no kidding, there are hundreds and hundreds of bands here. Is to that where, like,
0: sorry, sorry, go ahead.
1: Uh, well, just to the point where it's just so oversaturated, it's like not fun. You know, there's there are 10 shows here every night. You know, there's never, I don't think that there's ever been a single night with nothing going on since I moved here 14 years ago. Like it's, it's great if you're in the music and you want to keep with it, but after a while it wears you down and you can't keep up with it and it's just too much work.
0: Does that, I haven't been around that environment. Does that, um, does that like make you want to like be a little more precise with the stuff you're doing and not like add to the, I guess the volume of bands make sure like the ones that you're doing are like things you care about and that kind of deal Yeah,
1: definitely there's definitely a a a quality over quantity kind of thing going on it's like uh you know for a while when i had the three bands going like you know one of the bands was only one of them that was shit creek and that was like my my band where i wrote the songs and was the main singer and booked all the shows and i was the dad in that band you know Mm -hmm. and uh while I was doing that, I was also playing, still doing Ghost Knife, but, but that was kind of just a, a side project. And then I was also playing in this band called Modok that was like kind of this heavy, kind of fuzzy, like stoner rock kind of thing. Named after the guy from the Fantastic Four, who was like a bad guy, and he was just a little face with arms and legs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we were named after that, that dude, and it was uh, it was like a like a heavy stoner rock kind of thing, and I liked that kind of music. and It was fun to like play that kind of stuff, and I was just the bass player in that band. I wasn't, you know, I was just kind of like the hired gun, and that was fun. But then they they were really wanted to get serious and do more stuff, and I just I was leaning more in the direction of you know it's 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 hard like being in Austin. You know, it's all not all the venues, but like a good chunk of the venues are downtown, and you have to like. You know, I live out in the suburbs, kind of, because it's, it's cheaper out here, and so, you know, I have to drive, you know, a good five or six miles to get down there, and then you got to find a place to park. you got to load everything in. you got to stay there until 2 a.m. when the show's over, hmm. load everything back up, and then, then go to work at 7 a.m. the next day, and it's just like, you know, you can do that once a month or something, and that's fine, <laughs> but when it's three or four times a week, dude, can't hang. It just, it just got to be too much. And so I had to cut something and, you know, bands are fun, but they don't pay. <laughs> and, you know, my landlord doesn't care if I'm, like, <laughs> my, my landlord doesn't care if I'm, uh, uh, spiritually fulfilled like that, you know?
0: Well, it sounds like so, you really pay attention to that. It sounds like you, you have some kind of, um, like, like you're evaluating, like what is worth it in terms of your time and, um, and happiness. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, throughout all of the the music stuff, I've always got the comics going, and uh, that's really, you know, I've I've come to realize that that's that's going to be the thing that kind of defines me forever. You know, I, I really feel like these, these comics and this way, the way that I've got it set up to where it's just it will constantly always be going on. I'll always have something to write about. You know, I'm never going to. I'm never going to run out of stuff to say or like come to a a gradual conclusion or anything. So, and you know, the popularity of the comics is getting great and it's, it's, it's building up and it's only going to get bigger. You know, I feel like it can only grow from where it is. And so I really put my main, main focus into that now, you know, at the time when I started it, it was more like kind of a hobby just to do something different that wasn't music. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of taken over in the sense now that it's, it's kind of running the show
0: had you been drawing um before that before you started doing the comic or was the comic your introduction to drawing or
1: uh well I went to art school at VCU and um you know I I always drew you know in high school and stuff and I like doodling and stuff but I never really tried to like do anything serious about it I never like had a plan to be a comic book artist when I was a kid or anything like that but um you know, I always would enjoy doodling and stuff. And then I, I kind of discovered the the world of, you know, like underground comics, you know, stuff that wasn't all superheroes. And, and you know, like uh, I learned about like James Kachaka and John Forcellino and guys like that and really, you know, opened my eyes to the world of, of like, you know, you don't necessarily have to draw very good to be able to make good comics, which, you know, is the same thing with music. You don't have to be a great guitar player. To write a great song, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It's not like Johnny Ramone with some amazing virtuoso, <laughs> but you know he 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 knew what sounded good and how to how to make the sounds how to how to use what he had to make something great. And that's that's sort of what I go for with my comics. Is you know I'm not the best draw. I'm not the best artist in the world. I can't draw that good, but it doesn't matter. You know, and in 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 a way like sort of in spite of that, or you know because I'm so shitty at drawing that it's like. It, it makes the comics more entertaining, you know? Because
0: like well, you're leveraging against that that imperfection, almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, like, there's nothing fun. Like, to me, when I'm trying to draw something, like, kind of complicated, and it comes out just totally wrong and looks horrible, <laughs> and it's hilarious. It is hilarious. And I will actually bust out laughing at my desk while I'm drawing. And, like, that's great, you know? That's, And I'm sure that, you know, people reading it also get that same laugh out of how bad it is, you know?
0: And that concludes part one of our six-part interview with Ben Snake Pit. All of our interviews are available at variousthings.org. This interview was recorded on April 12, 2014. things in part two of our six-part interview with Ben it. Enjoy. The moved went in with Tim Towsley years ago, okay, and yeah. um, he was saying something to me, and he was like, have you seen it? Because he was like, you know, total book, book nerd, loves anything in a book form, and he was like, hey, hey right. have you seen this snake pit? And I was like, no, what, what's that? Yeah. And he was like, oh, it, it's uh, Ben. And I was like, what? And I, I remember looking at it and I was like, wow, that's awesome. You've stumbled onto this, this whole language, you know, like right. this, you, you've created this whole world and this whole like visual language. And I was like, man, that, that is, that's really like well-formed, you know, like I was really blown away by it. And um, yeah. you're really narrating this thing as you essentially. Right. And you're not like trying to like make up like really cool plots. Like it seems like a pretty much, and I might be wrong on this, but it's, it's pretty much a journal of things you've gone through, like a visual journal. Yeah,
1: yeah it is Is absolutely 100% all true. And uh I never, you know, I might make some silly decisions in my life because they will make good comics. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I never put anything <laughs> but the truth in there. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's part of the deal is like because it's not some kind of like fictional story where I have to keep coming up with stuff, you know. All I all I do the 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 main like uh, I guess like the mission statement of the comic kind of thing is like I answer the question every day of what did you do today. And okay. If I didn't if I didn't do anything that day then then that's what I'll write. You know, I didn't do anything. Okay, I'll straight up put that in there. Yeah, or, I think yeah. I've seen those. I think I've yeah, seen a couple, couple of those. There's a couple of those. Yeah. Uh, but you know, usually I go to work, and then I'll come home and like listen to records, or you know, drink a beer, and hang out with my wife, and watch TV, and walk the dog. And that's about it, you know. And that's that's what I'll put in the comic. And like, it's not a wholly original idea. I have to I have to confess that. Um, when uh, I don't know, this was like 1998 or 99, late 90s. I was in a Walden Books at Chesterfield Town Center, uh-huh. and and I'm. uh just killing time and um, you know this is back when there were bookstores in the mall <laughs> right and and there was you didn't have a phone to look at to do stuff so like you had to actually like walk around and look at stuff so I'm like uh, over in like the, the comics like where there's like the Garfield books you know and it's the Sunday comics collected you know Bloom County and shit like that and I'm just looking through those and I see this book called um, and then I have it here it's called I Made Some Brownies and They Were Pretty Good. By Jim. And I'm like, what is this? And I pull it out, and its it was essentially what my comics are like. There was four panels, really, really, really primitive drawing, like just super crappy drawing. You could barely tell what was going on. Real basic lines. It obviously took this guy, you know, five minutes to do each one. And it would be, you know, the same, narrated kind of the same way, like, you know, today I went to work, and then came home and played with the cat, and then I went to bed. And that's the whole thing. And it's the first couple of them you read it and you're like, what is this? this? Isn't funny? Like whatever. And then after you read 10 of them, you're like, Oh, this is kind of awesome. And then the next thing you know, you, I read the whole book standing there in the store, like, you know, in 20 minutes. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like it, it like induces this kind of trance when you read it. And I was just so blown away by it. So fast forward a year or two and, um, we finally got Internet at my house. You know, I lived in this punk house with a bunch of dudes, you know, Tony Bitch and guys like that. And uh, we got uh, finally got Internet at the house for the first time. And one of the first things I looked up when I actually got to sit down and play with Google for the first time, I was like, i got to find out about Jim's Journal, you know. So I looked this up. The, the comics were called Jim's Journal. And so I look it up and I find out it's actually fake. It's not real. It's by um, by this guy named Scott who... Uh, he works at The Onion. He's one of the editors or one of the senior founders of The Onion. And um, it was kind of heartbreaking. I was like, oh, my God, Like his, his name's not Jim. He doesn't really have a cat named Mr. Peterson. He doesn't really work at Kinko's. You know, like, and I'm, I'm sure that they were based on fact a little bit, but the, the fact that he changed names and stuff, it kind of, at first, I was, like, bummed out. And then I, it, the light bulb went off, and I was like, why don't I do this, like, for real? Like, really do it. Like, put my real name, the real shit that happens to me, you know, actual names of the girls that I'm, like, hooking up with at parties and stuff like that. Right. And I I went ahead and started that, and that was in... I really, really started doing it in the summer of 2000. And for that six months between, I don't know, June of 2000 and the end of the year, I, w- I, I did it, but I would I was kind of lazy. Sometimes I would slack off and not do a day or whatever. And and at the end of that six months, I put together, like, a little glean of just those comics. And um, it did pretty good. You know, I, I just gave it out to friends at parties and stuff, and everybody liked it. I got a lot of really good feedback, and so I kind of made the decision. My New Year's resolution for 2001 was I'm never going to miss another day of comics ever. And, and so you're been here we doing are, that? Yep, here we are, 2014, and I have not missed a day in 14 years.
0: <laughs> now, as a creative person, that's got to be pretty hard when you uh, – like the thing that struck me about it was when I saw your um, – when I saw the ones where you didn't really do anything that day and mm-hmm. I saw that you had made one, like I could relate to that because I was doing like a photography thing for a while and I'd try to take a photo and every day that I didn't have one, I'd feel bad. You know, you get into right. that thing where you're like in this like creative debt to yourself and you're like, oh no. And so like the fact that you just went ahead and made it of just the reality of your day, yeah. you know, not looking for the spectacular thing to have happened or any uh, life affirming thing other than the fact that you existed that day. Like that's the thing right. that really caught me about it because it's just like there's a certain honesty as an artist that I think a lot of people just don't cross that line because maybe they're afraid of uh being like, "Oh, this this isn't good because there's no like punchline to it or you know something like that." But yeah, the yeah. fact you put that in there, it it actually makes, I think, reading it much more interesting. Because you know it's got more of a dynamic to it overall, you know?
1: Right, right. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the biggest challenges of doing the comic is uh, three panels a day. Because when on a day when nothing happens, you have to stretch nothing out over three panels. <laughs> and then on an amazing day where a whole bunch of cool shit happens, you have to condense it down into just three. You have to be real succinct about it, you know, and just pick the three most important things that you want to talk about that day. And, like... That's that's a good challenge, and it, it really, to be honest, like, especially in the early days before I had any success with it at all, it was really um, therapeutic for myself. Like, you know, if I'm, like, getting evicted from my house or fired from a job or something, it's it seems like such a huge, big deal. But then when you look and there's this little cartoon man and he's like, I don't have a place to live, you know, it's like, that's, that's not so bad. I'm going to live. You know, I'm going to make it. And in the early days, it really, really helped with that. When I first moved, uh, when I moved away from Virginia and moved here to Texas, like, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of friends and stuff. And, you know, I was making friends, but, you know, I definitely was way out of my comfort zone. I had a little bit of homesickness going on. And drawing the comics was a nice way to, like, get my feelings out, you know, like that. And it helped me cope with a lot of stuff you know, problems with girls I was dating or whatever. It was always a, a a nice way to deal with the problems and still at the same time like be producing something, you know, and like working towards the goal, you know. But my, my eventual goal is I hope that after I'm dead, you know, there will be like a giant, huge, 600 million page like tome like bound in my own flesh (laughs) (laughs) with every comic i ever drew like that's that's what i really hope will happen someday but i don't know
0: (laughs) and that concludes part two of our six-part interview with ben snake pit all of our interviews are available at variousthings.org. this interview was recorded on april 12th 2014 things in part three of our six-part interview with Ben Snakebitt. Enjoy. When you're going through those, those times where like things are not good for you, like you're seeing them presently not good, it, it brings up two ideas to mind. One, being able to see yourself in that comic at that point in time, it might kind of No matter how weird the situation is currently, it might kind of add a continuity to it because you realize like, oh, maybe I've been through this before, like something like this before almost. Um, And the other thing was, though, it it might show like a hopeful angle because you can go back through those and and see the way things usually kind of turn out. You know, so like if things generally turn out okay, like going back and and seeing that and putting it into that that format, like you can kind of assume that there will be a median or (laughs) an average good day again. Does that have you found that that contributes at all? Like in in terms of like when you're in a situation and you you hit that uh, that three panel.
1: There are two different ways that 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 happens. There's the on the the grand scale. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't think it's actually been officially released yet. But the the first book I ever did was called the Snake Pit Book. Yeah, I think I've seen first. that one. Okay, yeah, it's got a yellow cover. Um, that book went out of print a few years ago, and it just got re released, like reissued. A new publisher took it over and, and reissued it. And this is the it's the tenth anniversary edition, which is kind of mind blowing. And uh, wow. So I went I went back for this re release of it. I went back and reread the book and then wrote a little, like, you know, update, like how I feel about it now 10 years later. And it it really, like, it was very eye-opening to, to go back after so long, after not looking at it for so long and not paying attention and, like, I look back and I was like, wow, my life was a fucking mess back then, <laughs> you know? It's like, what, how did I even, like, live, you know? I'm, like, waking up, I'm, like, taking weird drugs that I don't know what they are and waking up in a ditch and, like, I shit my pants and, like, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? It's like, seriously, you know? And, like, it, it's, I look back and I was like, God, you know, I, I, I always think of it those times, those early times, was like, that's when I was living wild and free and I didn't have a bank account or a, my name wasn't on a lease and, like, everything was cool. I could just crash wherever and whatever. And I look back at it now and it's like, no, I was miserable and, like, desperately alone and, and depressed and, like, self-medicating. It's just, like, it was just awful, you know. It, it's it's really funny to go back and look at it, you know, with the, with a fresh pair of eyes and, and really, like, see, like, the, the horrible decisions I was making back then and, like, being thankful that I lived through it. <laughs> That's then, amazing. And then, yeah, but then another way of looking back on it that's, that's actually like kind of a utilitarian way, like um, I was working at a video store for a good a good chunk of the, of the comics that I've done, like two or three books worth of comics I worked at a video store. My boss gave me a raise, I, I remember, and like the raise didn't show up on my paycheck. And I come in and I'm like, hey, um, you know, I didn't get, my raise was supposed to come through by this pay period. He's like, no, it, it's two weeks later. And I was like, actually? And I like pulled the book out and like <laughs> looked at the day where he gave me the raise. I was like, no, you gave me the raise this day. And he's like, oh, you're right. And I got the retroactive pay. It's pretty awful. <laughs>
0: now that, okay, now that brings up something that I, I've kind of wondered about. Do you feel like people interact with you differently knowing that what, like, <laughs> you know, like your boss after that maybe um, if he knew about it? Like people that know about it, do you feel like they interact more cautiously with you because it might end up as a three panel?
1: Yeah, they do. And um, actually, the the better part of that is a lot of people are really nice to me and give me presents and stuff because they want to get in the comic. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it's, hey, man, it's, it works. I will definitely put you in the comic if you give me enough money or something cool. Like
0: <laughs> That's kind of like being a record reviewer where you get all the records and stuff. Like it,
1: it's very much like that, yeah. Wow. Um, I remember one time these two kids came up to me, and they're like, are you Ben Snake Pit? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, we drove all the way from Iowa because we wanted to meet you, and we want to get you stoned. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> you know, we went on the alley, and they smoked Smoked me out with a joint. It was cool, you know. But just you know, shit like that happens all the time. Like, I'll meet people. Like, wow, you know, I'm especially now that it's you know, I've been doing it for so long. Uh, I had a woman write me a like a, a fan email the other day, and she was like, I I have been reading your comics since I was seven years old, and wow. she's like a full on adult now, and that's like kind of blows my mind that like actually she's like I grew up with Snake Pit, and I was like no you didn't, and she's like no I've been reading it since I was seven, and I was like. Wow, that's like when you first learned to read. Like you literally did grow up with it. that
0: tiny. You thing. shaped that woman's mind of what comics are.
1: Exactly, were. I know. I I hope this <laughs> doesn't. I apologize if she's listening. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: oh wow, that's really fucking cool. I, it's shit like that. Like when you're making shit. Like I think everyone forgets how just sometimes those things might end up at this one place at this one time, and really change somebody like, yeah, you know, I mean, that is, wow, that, that, that is really amazing to think about. You were saying about like looking back, it, it seems like having that record can kind of alleviate some of the, the romanticism that we tend to do with our memories. And so like you were saying, you're looking back and seeing like, Oh, actually all this crazy bad shit was happening. Um Have you noticed anything since getting married that it makes it like odd to look back before or anything like that?
1: Not really. Um, my wife is really cool and uh, she actually knew about snake pit before she ever met me. And okay. Well, like like she wasn't like a huge fan or anything. It's not like she was some fan that sought me out or right. anything like that. But when we met, you know, we met at a J church show It was when I was playing in J church and we actually played at her house in New Mexico. And we met there and, you know, hit it off really well. And, she knew from the get-go, like, what my deal was. You know, we we talked about it the very first night we met. She was like, oh, so you draw these comics where you put everybody's names in there and shit, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if you have a problem with that, you know, I can certainly not put you in there. And she's like, no, it's cool. Just, you know, I want to make sure that you handle this respectfully, you know? And I'm like, absolutely. And ever since then, she's been super chill about, like, you know, I she understands that I I respect her privacy and would never put anything super personal dealing with her in there without, you know, first running it by her. Yeah. And that's actually, that's a policy I kind of always had, especially with my romantic involvement. You know, I would always make sure that everything was cool. Before, you know, I, I would check with the person I was with and make sure that, you know, they were cool with what I published. You know, I, I never wanted to do anything malicious like that you know yeah so it, I always I always did my best to, you know maybe there were some times that I didn't quite do it but you know I, I tried my best
0: were there ever situations where you felt bad about something and you kind of just self-censored it because you were just like oh that wouldn't that yeah, wouldn't reflect yeah, well on somebody I mean,
1: that's that's the thing with only three panels a day like you know there's plenty of stuff that I leave out you mm-hmm. know like, so many people will come up to me and they'll be like, oh, wow, you know, it's like, I read your comics and I love your comics. And I feel like I know you. Mm-hmm. And what I always say is, like, well, you know the stuff about me that I want you to know. Right. You know right <laughs> stuff me That I don't put in the <laughs> comics that nobody knows about. And like, you don't really know me. You only know the version of you that I'm presenting, which is, like, the whole thing with social media, with Facebook and, and Twitter and all that stuff, that, like, people had... Like, especially, you know, in the earlier days of it, people were kind of learning how to use it and how, like, some people would overshare too much, you know, or other Mm -hmm. people would, like, they would not understand, you know, there's certain types of inflection of, you know, sarcasm or, or, you know, there's all sorts of miscommunications that can happen in a format like that, especially when you've got people that, you know, didn't necessarily communicate like that before previous you know
0: yeah they don't really and, understand the syntax of it or whatever
1: right 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 and or you know there's some people that just they don't they can't wrap their heads around like who exactly can see what they're what they're writing you know Oh yeah yeah you write some <laughs> fucked up thing and then you're like oh shit my grandma saw that you know what i mean it's, right and i do feel like i had a leg up on everybody with that because i was doing this comic book that was essentially the same kind of thing for a good 10 years before anybody had a Facebook. You know what I mean? And that concludes part three
0: of our six-part interview with Ben Snakepit. All of our interviews are available at variousthings.org. This interview is recorded on April 12th, things in part four of our six-part interview with Ben Snake Pit. Enjoy. Well, uh, speaking of Facebook and stuff, so you got this product. I don't want to say product, but you got this thing you make. And, yeah, um,
1: it's a brand. I've developed a brand over the years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you could talk at South by Southwest about that. They can give you one of those right. little uh, <laughs> weird microphone things that sits on the side of your head and, yeah, um, yeah. and talk about synergy and yeah, um, snake put synergy. Uh, and you want to share this thing with people. And the thing I've noticed about you, like I've followed some people on like Facebook and this kind of shit and they're just up your ass with everything they make. And you're really not like that at all. Like, like if, uh, like, I don't think I've actually, I mean, maybe, like, every now and again, you'll be like, hey, I got some koozies for sale or something like that. Um, yeah. Is that something that you, like, consciously try to be, like, uh, careful about? Or are you just, like, just kind of naturally just don't even feel the need to do it? Or?
1: A while back, you know, maybe a few years ago, I was probably a little bit more more adamant about it. You know, I I probably did kind of over, over post, you know, advertisement type of shit. And and then a friend of mine came up to me one day, and he was like, you know, like, you need to decide if your Facebook page is, like, a a fan page or is it you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You need to decide one or the other because, like, sometimes you post personal shit or, like, you know, can somebody help me figure out how to open this file or, uh, you know, can somebody recommend a good restaurant in this town or whatever. And then other times it's like, buy my shit, buy my shit, buy my shit. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're totally right. And so I may I did make a conscious effort to like strike a better balance for that, you know, because it's part of, part of this, you know, product that I'm selling is that it's, it's me, it is me, it's my personal life. And there is a weird gray area between like what is, where does Ben snake pit stop and Ben White start? You know what I mean? It's, there's this gray overlap and I kind of just try to ride that, you know, and, and because it I feel like first of all, it keeps everything a lot more real, more mm. honest, and secondly i think I think people that like the comics or read it, they appreciate the honesty, they appreciate that I'm not putting up some front or trying to sell shit to them all the time you know it's yeah. it's not about like how much money can I make it's about you know like, hey, I made this thing, and you know it costs me some money to make it, so if you just help me you know get that back, then we're all cool. you know
0: what are the formats that you're going in right now like um because I know you have done the books. How do you publish just the three panels that you do every day? Is that like, how are you publishing that right now?
1: So, oh, uh, well, I'm, uh, I just sit on them. Uh, when I first first started doing the whole thing, I would go to Kinkos and make zines myself. You know, go DIY, self publishing, and I would usually just give them out, or I would, uh, yeah. The, the the first ones were just one month. You know, and I would just give those out because it's, like, four sheets of paper sticking together, no big deal. And after I had a year's worth of comics, I, like, made a scene, you know, with, like, a, I printed the cover on card stock, you know, and, like, <laughs> actually sold it and, like, sent, sent copies out to get reviewed and, you know, maximum rock and roll and, razor cake and shit like that. It, it it was a gradual thing, like it started, just like the, just like with a band, you know, you start with your demo tape and you get your first seven inch and then somebody offers to put out an LP and then you know what I mean, it just kinda worked that way. Uh I did the zines for a couple of years and then Todd who does Razorcake magazine he offered to put out the first book and uh, you know, that that collected the first three years of comics. And For a little while there, there was an overlap where I was still doing zines and books at the same time, but now at this point, I just do books. So the last one that came out, that's called Snake Pit Gets Old. That one covers uh, 2010 to 2012, and so the next book will be three years after that. So in 2015, the next book will come out, and it will be the next three years. So it's like the comic I'm drawing right now for today. No one's going to see that until 2015.
0: Wow, does that? How, how does that? How do you work with that like delay there? I mean, do you? Do you there's no chance of really getting instant gratification.
1: No, with and that. I kind of like it that way. It's it's actually a lot better because it uh, it gives shit time to mellow a little bit. Like you know, when I would do the zine, you know, there'd be I'd, something would happen. Like you know, I'd go to a show and there'd be a fight, you know, or something like that. Like some dude, my friend, guy's ass kicked, mm-hmm. and I'd write like you know. Drew got his ass kicked at the show last night at Beerland, and then the comic would come out two days later, and everyone—it's like this gossip rumor mill, and everybody's like, what? "What's going on with after Drew?" And I'm, and I'm like, "Man, I don't want to like stir up shit like that." But you know, if you wait a year and then you put it out, like people are like, "Oh yeah, I remember when that happened," you know, and it's not—it actually gives time, it gives shit time to mellow a little bit, you know, and it—it it, it, I, I think it works a lot better.
0: Wow, and, yeah, uh, that's
1: yeah. Yeah, and in the meantime, I still have all the old books. You know, and people are always buying those. You know, I go to comic book conventions and stuff like that. And I've got, you know, I have six books published now at this point. So it's like there's no shortage of shit to put on the <laughs> table. And it also builds. It builds up. You know, the, the fans want it. You know, they they get more excited. And you know, you get you have to wait three years, and people. Some people get mad. Like you have to wait three years for a new book. I'm like, well, dude, I can't speed up time. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have control. I don't have that kind of control over the universe. Yeah,
0: it's a daily just, basis you know, thing. I mean, what do, they, what do they want you to do? <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and that's another thing. Is like um, for a while there, uh, in 2007, 2008, and 2009, I, I actually tried to do one year books instead of three years, mm. and I, I put out three books in that three year period. Part of that was, like, kind of a personal greed in that, like, I was like, well, if I have three books, you know, I could sell those for seven bucks each and make more money, you know. It was actually, like, kind of a greedy decision, mm. and it totally backfired on me because if you sit down with one of my books and read it, you'll realize that, like, reading it in a huge chunk is what really is the payoff. Like, you, it really does kind of induce this trance, as weird as that sounds. Like, I always have, uh, you know, one of the rules that I have in every book is that these comics were made to be read on the toilet, and you're supposed to keep this book on the back of your toilet, and every time you poop, you just read some. It really, it it definitely kind of like you you kind of just you, you end up flipping through it really fast and just reading each day fast, and it like it, there's this rhythm that develops with it. And when you've got just one year, it, it you don't get the time to really establish that rhythm, and it doesn't work. And those three books are like my worst-selling books because they're so small. And eventually, once they're all out of print, I'm going to redo them as a a one book of just those three years. I mean, that's that's, years down the road that we're talking because they printed a lot of those books.
0: That trance—I remember reading it, and and, um, it was totally like—it was very light. That's the thing I liked about this because sometimes you get into a trance with something, like you get totally involved in something, and it, like I don't know, like uh, what is it—that House of Cards show or whatever, I started watching that shit and I was like fucking gone for days. But it was like in a really like bad narcotic kind of way, you know, we're like, I need the next one now. Um, but with yours, it was like drinking water. Like you can't really yeah. have too much, you know, and so it was like really light. And if you had to go do other stuff, it was cool, but you looked forward to getting back to it. And right. yeah, I, I was really blown away. But, you know, this stands in a huge contrast, like the way you're operating to the way everything exists these days because everything is about like instant 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 and you're actually like taking time letting things cool off planning you know like like going through these things and and letting let them kind of establish themselves as you know the the course of these years and, and then putting them out it, it's really refreshing to see something done like that and that concludes part four of our six-part interview with Ben Snakebitt. All of our interviews are available at variousthings.org. This interview is recorded on April 12, 2014. things this is part five of our six part interview with Ben Snakepit enjoy has anyone ever asked you to do like daily stuff
1: um, like releases not really um, I do in, in addition to, to the diary snakepit comics I do I, uh, I have a regular column in Razor Cake magazine, mm. so every issue of that has a, a full-page comic that I draw that's something co- totally different. I usually try to make those, like, informative, or, you know, like, I did one, like, how to make a gravity bong, or, like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so how like to, topical. how to book a show, or how to, yeah, yeah, I try to make them how-tos, or, like, a list, like, here's my 10 favorite horror movies, or, you know, like. I still really am not a fan of fiction, like writing fiction. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I can do it very well. I, I can't come up with good stories or anything like that. And I, you know, the, I I like the idea of like write about what you know. You know? Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, I, I do the razor cake thing, and um, occasionally, you know, I have friends that do comic anthologies. Like my friend Mitch Plym does one called As You Were, where uh, he'll, he'll get artists from all over to like put out this like compilation book, basically. And uh, I'm on, he's done three of those so far, and I have a comic in each one of those. And there's other little population books known and anthologies that I'll I'll contribute to. So I I stay busy, and there's still, you know, if somebody's looking hard enough, they can find stuff that I'm doing pretty regularly.
0: Well, so with the comic, do you have, and I I know this might be kind of weird to ask since it being a daily thing, but is there a favorite one that you have? Um,
1: yes, as a matter of fact, there is, and I have, I'm sitting here by my bookshelf so I thought I might need to reference something, so I'm going <laughs> to see if I can pull this out and find it. Um, and what I can do, I, I'm going to tell you the date. Okay, yes, yeah. March 10th, 2001 is the best comic I've ever drawn. <laughs>
0: And, and was this because of sentimental
1: or just, like, uh, technical? No, because I was literally blackout drunk when I drew it. I do not remember drawing it, and it is hilarious. What I'll do is I'll scan this and email it to you, and, like, when you put this podcast up, you can, like, have this image. You cool, man. It, up there for people to see. <laughs> Cause it is fucking
0: hilarious. <laughs> do you think you'll ever top that?
1: Um, Maybe... Like, like things like that, like, the the drawings that I, my favorite ones are always the ones that are, like, kind of a, a terrible accident, you know, where, like, it, it didn't come out at all like I was trying to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, something that I guess might be interesting to people listening to this is, like, uh, as far as my creative process goes, like, I, I do it a little different than most real comic book artists, like. You know, most real comic book artists will pencil first and then go back and ink over it. And I don't ever do that. I just go straight ink on paper. Hell yeah. Like, just throw, you know, it's like a real raw dog kind of approach to it, where it's like, if you throw that first line out and it doesn't come out right, it's like too fucking bad. You just have to deal with it. You know what I mean? That's awesome. And yeah, it's it's awesome, but at the same time, you know, it's like, shit can go really wrong and you just end up with a really horrible looking comic <laughs> and like oh well that's there's that always tomorrow you know <laughs> it's like, not a big deal
0: so you don't even redraw and, it
1: no no it's just one time and, and well and the, the, the two reasons for that the the like existential reason is like you don't get a second chance in life man you just got to you know but oh wow a, but then the actual real reason is like, I'm just lazy. I, don't, I already drew it once. I don't want to draw it again.
0: That's the best combination of reasons I've ever heard in my life.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very intellectual and very realistic. Like, that's yep,
1: yep.
0: that's awesome. Um, <laughs> I guess the reverse of that would be, is was, there was a comic that you just hated that you drew? Um,
1: hmm.
0: Like, maybe one huh? where you were even debating, like, maybe I should, like, not do this today or something?
1: No, no, not really. Um, there are times, you know, like, like, I I have a comic for every day, but I don't necessarily always draw it every day, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like, uh, like, a lot of times, like, if I'm traveling or if I'm on tour with my band or whatever, like, I've gotten in the habit where I don't take my sketchbook with me because especially when you get to the end of the year. Like I do everything, I draw everything in one sketchbook. And when right. I get to the end of the year, it's like this book's really valuable. If I lost this, I lose the only copy of these comics. You know what I mean? Oh, wow, and yeah. And so, yeah, so I've gotten into the habit of, of leaving it at home and I'll make notes. I'll I'll actually write out my scripts every day that I'm traveling and then come home and then draw, you know, the last eight days or however long I was gone. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And well, That's uh, way smarter than, yeah,
1: God. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, there were a couple of times where, like, I, like, lost my backpack, and I was like, shit, my sketchbook's in there, oh, fuck, you know, and it's, like, really panic, and, like, I found it, and, like, oh, I can't let that happen again. So, um, <laughs> the the only time I've ever really hated having to draw was, there was one time where I let it slip for 30 days, and I had to catch up 30 days of drawing, and it was just this fucking brutal nightmare, like, it, you know, because it, it's, you know, every single day, you're already drawing three panels and then you got to go back and draw a few more to catch up. You know what I mean? And it's
0: like... So you had to draw 90 you... panels?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, was, <laughs> I, could, I couldn't do it all in one sitting, but, you know, it took me a couple of weeks to finally catch up. But, like, that took a couple of weeks was just brutal because it's like, still got to draw the day's comic and then go back and, like, catch up more and more and more and more every day. And it's just, it, I, that's the only time I ever really hated doing it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Because that that, at that point, it's like work. It's like...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely becomes work at that point and it's kind of not cool but you
0: know, did you a- learn to like never let that happen again from that
1: <laughs> i try my best i try my best like um actually this last month it's kind of happened again like i have a lot of catching up to do because i did a bunch of traveling in uh in march the first weekend of march i did a uh, comic book convention here in town and then the second weekend of march i went to detroit and this was really weird. I went to Detroit and gave a talk about comics at the Museum of Contemporary Art. <laughs> what Yeah, I know. Wow. It's so weird. It's so weird. I, like they they emailed me. The dude the dude at the museum emailed me and was like, Hey, we do this thing called the comic jam every year and we get a, a comic artist that we really like to come out and uh and give a talk and you know, we'll we'll buy you a plane ticket and put you up in a hotel and pay you some money and, and I swear to God, I thought it was a prank. You know, I was like, what mine my fucking with me saying this? But it turned out to be real, and they did it, and it was awesome. It was really fun, and I had a great time, and everyone I met was really awesome, and it was just, the whole experience was fantastic. I was really, really, it was awesome. You know, I was really happy with it. And How- then uh, the weekend after that, hang on, it's, we're, we're still going, man. The weekend <laughs> after that was South by Southwest, which was always insane, and my band played a couple of shows, and uh, this year, I don't know if you heard on the news, but there was this, this tragedy, like this guy drove a car into a crowd and he killed three people and sent him yeah. to the hospital. So, yeah, it was a big fucking deal. And like, I was actually downtown that night. I walked right through that intersection like an hour before that happened and it was like, it was, you know, it was really, you know, like it was outside of the X show, like uh, X was playing so a lot of my friends were there, you know, and it was real, real scary for a while and like once it became apparent that all my friends were okay and everything. It was still, you know, it was still terrible fucking tragedy, and like, I don't know, I feel like this was the dark turning point for South by Southwest, was this thing happening, and just, you know, just the way it's been going, more and more corporate, and less and less fun, and like bands are not coming anymore because it's too much of a fucking hassle to deal with, and like, I feel like that was a a major turning point, you know. But uh, anyway, anyway, uh, back to my crazy month. The weekend after that, I uh actually went out to New York to Brooklyn. Um I don't know if you know the band Shell Shag. They're good buddies of mine. They um they have this T V studio that they that they run and uh you know, they they like rent it out to like people that do T V shit. I don't know, like it's like a green screen studio. It's like it was the for oh,
0: yeah.
1: commercials. And uh anyway they with on their off time when there's nobody in the studio, they make their own little like kind of it's it's not exactly a public access show. They really just kind of do it on YouTube, but they they've gotten to the point where they're like bringing their friends out to like do special episodes of each one, and they they brought me out to do one, and it's uh it's available on YouTube. I'll uh, I'll send you a link so you can put it on the blog. I too.
0: saw that. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's just uh, it's me, you know, kind of goofing off. I like paint a big picture and like we play some songs and just.
0: Yeah, you painted New York City, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, it was really fun. It was just a great time. Like those guys are my friends. They're like the sweetest people in the world. And you know, I, I just went out for the weekend and did that show. And you know, we uh, they they played a show and they made, they made me do a solo acoustic set. Which oh wow! Was horrible. Like I've never done that before, and I will never do it again. It was mortifying and terrible. But whatever, you know, I'll I'll. I'll embarrass myself for 20 minutes in exchange for a trip to New York, you know? Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that was funny, but, uh, and yeah, so then I just got back from that, and then last weekend, last weekend, yeah, last weekend, I went to, down to San Antonio and Ghost Knife played our friend's wedding, and that was, you know, that was fun. With it. But, you know, it's just that, the last five weeks, I've had something really serious and heavy going on every single weekend, and so I've fallen behind quite a bit on the comics and I've been Actually, the whole time I've been talking today, I've been catching up for all
0: Oh Hell yeah. <laughs> Gotta get it done. <laughs> and that concludes part five of our six-part interview with Ben. All of our interviews are available at variousthings.org. This interview was recorded on April 12th, 2014. Welcome back to Various Things. This is part 6 of our 6-part interview with Ben Snapkin. Enjoy. How weird was that being at the uh that that uh Museum of Contemporary Art in Detroit? It was
1: uh it was surreal, man. It really was. Like, I straight up, it was like giving a TED talk, you know? Like, I had to, like, I had a, a podium and a microphone and it was wow. a big empty room and a bunch of people and like, I had to, I had to talk about myself for 40 minutes. It was, it was weird, but it, it wasn't too bad, you know? I drank a beer or two before and it kind of did <laughs> up and It wasn't a big deal, you know? It was fun. The people that, that ran the event were just the sweetest, nicest people. They were, were just super awesome. Like, took really good care of me, and like, I had a great time. It was really
0: fun. That's really cool. I mean, that's yeah. comic art has always had a very weird relationship with the formal art world. Um, yeah, yeah, I've noticed more people being able to like that are like self or like publishing like not through like big ass publishing houses. Like, who, who is yeah. who are you saying you're publishing like Razor Cake?
1: Uh, well, right now, uh, uh, Microcosm Publishing in Portland does okay. yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Like the same way with music, you know. Like, like there's kind of no reason for record labels to exist anymore. You know what I mean? Like, right. you can record. You, you you can start a band, record your songs, put them up on your web page, and like, and that's it. You know, you can you can work it out something where you have people pay for a download or whatever. But essentially, you know. The initial reason for record labels was to distribute your music to people that wouldn't be able to hear it, and the internet's just totally destroyed that. You know, there's no no need for it, and it, I'm not saying destroyed in a negative way. It's you know, I feel like it, there are negative and positive aspects of the way it's changed. It just has changed and it's evolved, and you know, it's funny to see some people like refusing to change with the world and like. <laughs> And yeah. then like, I don't understand why nobody's <laughs> buying my 7-inch. And it's like, because nobody fucking needs to, you know? It's like, well, it's longer on YouTube, you know
0: what I mean? That's the big thing that I think people take for granted is they don't realize that a record was a mechanism of delivery more than an object, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, be- it became yeah. an object to some people, but um, it was a mechanism of delivery. And even even farther than that with the record labels, they, they not only controlled the ability to um, – distribute but they controlled the ability to production um a lot of those labels had their own recording studios and mastering studios and um and so they could actually like kind of like economically facilitate like this thing happening you know and happening right. well um and then slowly over time, more, you know, independent studios started popping up and it was this constant like democra- democratization kind of because of the availability of technology and price drops and all this shit. Right. It, it's just been kind of coming to this point for like a very long time. And it, it, it's so funny when you see people like be like. Oh, it's cuz of MP3s or whatever. <laughs> you know? Cuz you're just like, dude, Tascam was running ads in like 1980 about their like, you know, tape-based 8-track and like, right, you totally. know. I mean, Bruce Springsteen was like making like 8-track recordings back then, that now he's actually releasing cuz people are kind of past that stigma of them, you know. Right. But yeah. um now that's that's really interesting cuz it, it's like now it, there it, it just really comes down to like are you making something? Is it good? And is it available rather than like, yeah. well, what label is it on? <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> like, that's, that's the thing. It's it's no longer, you no longer have that excuse. Like it was an excuse that a lot of people use. They're like, well, I don't, I don't really work that hard because nobody, you know, I can't get my stuff out. Nobody will sign me to their label, you know? And it's like, now you've got no excuse, like make it and put it out there. And like, if it's good, people will like it. And if it's not good, you can't blame anybody but yourself at this point, you know?
0: Yeah and,
1: and I I like that. I like that, you know, it's it it forces Here's another thing is, you know, with with the death of, you know, major of the music industry basically. Like now you've got people the people that were making music just for the money aspect of it, there's mm-hmm. no money in it anymore, so they're not making it. So now you've only got pure artists making pure art because they want to and that's because you don't get paid for it you know Mm -hmm. and I actually think that the overall quality of all art in the world is going up as a result of that you've got less people doing it for money and more people and you know the people that are still doing it they're doing it because they have to you know it's it's in their souls they got to get it out and they it's not about money or or you know fame or anything like that it's just about making this art and I feel like it's really uh refined that you know what I mean like there's there, because there's no more money in it you don't have that that weird greed anymore and I, I think that's awesome
0: coming up as a punk kid and, and being involved in punk rock like this ethic that the w- whole world basically operates now on is something that you've had more yeah, yeah, than 20 so years doing Only totally
1: have a leg up on everybody because of it yeah, yeah. That
0: that's something I d- haven't thought about until just right now is that basically yeah. music kind of in mass is now operating the way punks kind of were operating since the since that became like the way that they operated so at least yeah. like 30 30 something i'm bad at math a lot of years <laughs> well, <laughs> well cool man um well you take well, care thanks. thank you so much
1: I it. yeah all no right. bro- you're Talk welcome you
0: all right take care And that concludes part six of our six-part interview with Ben Snape. I'd like to thank Ben for taking the time to talk with me, and I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. All of our interviews are available at variousthings.org. This interview was recorded on April 12th, 2014. Thanks for listening.